welcome to another episode of Daily Facing on the Words of Christ, helping disciples of Jesus Christ to engage with the Book of Mormon on a deeper and more personal level. And today we're doing pages 367 to 372. And so my thoughts might actually jump around the six pages. I know sometimes I usually do it in order of like the story sequence and how I read the pages, but this one might jump around a little bit. So just that I'd let y'all know. Um, but so something, right? So we're out of the book of Alma and we've approached the book of Helaman and the book of Helaman does not have the happiest of beginnings because it starts out with contentions and murders and secret combinations. Yay! <laughs> just, they had just won a war and it's been some years, I think, but they've won a war and now they're fighting each other and killing each other. It's great. <laughs> and it's all for the judgment seat. Like, there's three of the sons of the chief judge who want to be the governor once their dad dies. And it splits the three it splits the people into three parts and it, you know, it causes a lot of contention among the people. We, I'm sure you're very aware that political contentions and dissensions happen all the time. You know, with especially You know, this last presidential election, there was a lot of contention surrounding that. And so I imagine something somewhat similar was going on here. Um, because, you know, there was a lot of contention and one of the three sons got picked to be the governor. And... One of the other contestants who didn't get picked, you know, was, you know, he was respectful and was like, okay, I lost, and he backed off. But then one of them tried to raise up a rebellion amongst the people so that he could still get the judgment seat because this guy wanted power. And he wasn't super happy with the fact he didn't get it. Well, they found out that he was you know, being a traitor and trying to raise up a rebellion. So they got him killed. Well, they tried him and then killed him, executed him according to the law. Sorry, I misspoke there for a second. But, um, the people who supported that guy were super angry. And so they hired somebody to kill the current chief governor 
and they go into like the secret combination that they won't tell anybody that Kishkumen killed the chief judge and they just kind of disappear amongst the crowd and so now we've got two deaths down one son left and he becomes chief governor of the land according to the voice of the people and then a Lamanite army comes into town they attack the city and kill the chief governor <laughs> so we go through all our options I'm just like whoa there's so much murder, so much killing, and so much contention. Like, what is going on? Usually when that happens, it's because the people have forgotten about God. And they care more about power and money and riches than they do about helping one another. And... You know, I, it doesn't say what kind of men these chief governors were. But I almost wonder if they weren't very faithful or very righteous. Because after the last chief governor gets killed and Moroniha defeats the army of the Lamanites, which I'll discuss a little bit more later, then... Helaman, the son of Helaman, who's the son of Alma, who's the son of Alma, who's the son of, I don't know who, but anyway, Helaman becomes chief governor, and Helaman, as far as I know, is a righteous man, and, you know, there is an attempt to murder him, but it doesn't go through. The person who tries to murder Helaman actually dies by the hand of one of Helaman's servants, and so Helaman is spared. Right? And again, it doesn't say whether or not any of these men were good or bad. I just, you know, I, knowing that the covenants the Lord has made with the house of Israel, that he'll preserve and protect those that keep his commandments. It makes me wonder if the other governors and were not as faithful as Helaman. They did not keep the commandments nor remember the Lord their God as Helaman did. And that Helaman was spared because of his faith. Again, it does not explicitly say that, but it makes me wonder. Because that has been a pattern in the Book of Mormon, right? Whenever the Nephites are righteous and they remember God more than a political party or power or whatever and they remember God and keep his commandments oh, sorry then they prosper and there's not any contentions in the land they are usually like what if there's ever any difficulty they're solved pretty quickly and peacefully but anytime that there's contentions and they're not peaceful it's usually because they've forgotten God. And so, you know, it makes me wonder if that's what's happening here. As they slowly forgot about God, 
and his commandments. And so, and they started focusing more on power or their riches or status or their political party or whatever it was. And that's what caused contention and caused so much murder and war to happen amongst the people again. Now, that doesn't mean that if we're faithful, that there won't be trials and tribulations. There will still be difficult times, even for the righteous and the faithful. But they're definitely a lot easier to handle when we have faith in God than when we don't. And... I also think that people are less inclined to kill each other when they remember God versus when they don't. Just throwing it out there. And so, you know, we, if you remember from Alma chapter 30 with Korahor, Satan does not care about his servants, basically. Everyone that comes to his side is just a tool and a pawn and not a person to Satan. Satan doesn't care about you and your welfare. He only cares what he can get out of you. And so it was with Kishkumen, who was the guy who murdered all the chief governors. Because eventually Kishkumen got murdered. And Satan doesn't care. The only person who does care is God. Because, you know, God's our creator. He created everyone and everything on this earth. And he cares about everyone and everything on this earth. And you know, for for those who are struggling to keep the commandments, who've become discouraged or despairing, I was so this past Sunday in church we're allowed to sing with our masks on and we were and for the sacrament hymn we were singing one of my favorites hymn number 185 reverently and meekly now and the hymn is sung as if jesus christ were speaking to us i absolutely love the song um and at the beginning of the fourth verse It says, at the throne I intercede, for thee ever do I plead. I have loved thee as a friend, with a love that cannot end. So if you're struggling to keep the commandments, and you're feeling discouraged or despairing, and not sure what to do, 
invite you to remember the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and everything that he has done for you and everything that he is doing for you. You know, he is pleading our case before God always. And he loves us no matter what we've done. It is a love that cannot end. You know, maybe you feel like no one can love you for who you are. That if people really knew, air quotes, really knew you and what you've done, that you can't truly be loved. But God knows you. God knows what you've done. You can't keep a secret from God. And guess what? He still loves you. And he's still pleading for you. He knows what you're going through. He has suffered the punishment and the agony of that sin already. So that you can have the opportunity to repent and to change and to be free from that sin. He is working every single day to help you. He is reaching out to you. His hand is stretched out still. And the marks in his hands are reminders to him of how much he loves you and how much he's willing to do and still does to free you from the chains of hell. And I, I hope you remember that always. It can be easy to forget. But I hope you do remember that always, that God will love you no matter what. No matter what. And that as you continue to work hard and to strive to keep the commandments the best that you can, that God will send you help. He will help you. And he will send people in your life and in your path that will help you. We don't have to do this alone. In fact, this life wasn't meant to be lived alone. We have friends and family and a, a ward family, church support for a reason. We have the gift of the Holy Ghost for a reason because God never wants us to be alone. And so, <laughs> coming back to the six pages after that tangent, but I hope that tangent speaks to somebody today, that they needed to hear that. Um, 
And I'm coming back to when the Lamanites attack the Nephites. They go straight to the center. They go to Zarahemla. And they take over Zarahemla and they're about to march towards the city Bountiful. Moroniha thought that the Lamanites would be too scared to go to the center, so he fortified the surrounding cities. And so it seems at this point like a disadvantage. The Lamanites have come in, taken their biggest city, they've taken the capital, and are, you know, capturing cities left and right in the middle. So it seems like, um, you know, it was a place that Moroni was not, not Moroni, Moroni Ha, sorry, because Moroni died. Sadness, because I love Moroni. His son is pretty cool, though. Moroni Ha does a good job. Because, you know, they weren't expecting the Lamanites to come to the center. They were expecting them to come to the outer ed edges. So Moroniha was taking time to fortify the outer cities, which were considered the more weak points. Um, but that's not where they attacked. They attacked in the middle. It was really unexpected. And, you know, sometimes Satan attacks us where we're least expecting it. And it catches us off guard and we don't have time to pull ourselves together in the moment to really defeat him. However, Moroni how because he spent time fortifying the city's land roundabout, what actually ended up happening is the Lamanites army drove through the center of the land and ended up getting surrounded by the Nephites. Because, you know, if they're in the center and Moroni has strengthened all the cities surrounding Zarahemla, the Lamanites just put themselves in a trap without realizing it. And so Moroni was able to surround the Lamanites and to defeat them. It was fairly quick. It was a, like, the war did not last all that long. And the Lamanites were defeated pretty swiftly. And it was because Moroniha was taking time to prepare and fortify the cities. And even though he got it wrong the first time, if he hadn't spent time fortifying those cities, then he would have lost. But because Moroniha had spent time fortifying all those cities, he was still able to defeat Satan, even when Satan did a surprise attack. I... It's just a testament to me that, you know, Satan thinks he's clever and he's smart. But he can be defeated so easily. Because God is all-knowing and all-powerful. He doesn't stand a chance. Not one bit. You know, as if we work on keeping the commandments... And having faith in God always, then Satan cannot win. It's inevitable. Like Satan, he thinks he's all that. And he thinks he has so much power and sway in this world. Really, he doesn't. He really doesn't. He may convince people that he has that much power and sway in the world. And that's why 
you know, he can do anything is because he's able to lie and to convince people to do things that they normally wouldn't do. But otherwise, like, Satan has no power and no cleverness that could ever, ever destroy God and his army. Like, it's, no. It is inevitable for Satan to lose. It is inevitable for God to win. End of story. <laughs> There's nothing, nothing more to it. I think sometimes we allow ourselves to get caught up in the lies of Satan and to believe that, you know, there is no help. There's nothing we can do. That all is lost. When really it's not. Because of Jesus Christ. It's never over. It's never lost. Because God has all power. He is a God of miracles. God of the impossible. He can do anything he wants. Including. Helping us to change. Which sometimes can feel like the most impossible task ever. But God can do it because he has all power. All he asks is for us to have faith and to keep the commandments the best that we can. And through that, his power will flow into our lives and change us. Change our hearts and change our natures. And then one other thought before I close, um, you know, there's some people of the Nephites who go and they migrate to the land northward and it talks about how they're not able to find enough timber to build buildings like they usually do. And so they have to learn how to work in cement. And if a tree grows, starts to grow, then they leave it alone and they have to import lumber from the cities southward in order to build buildings like they're used to. And, you know, as I was thinking about these six pages and what could someone find useful in these six pages that could help them today, a thought occurred that sometimes we are put in a situation that feels like a disadvantage you know, or we have a disadvantage or we're put in a hard place or, you know, it's just, it's not ideal. It's not what we're used to. It's not what we're familiar with. It, it's new. It's different. We, it, it's, you know, just like these people, they're put in a place with no trees. These people are used to building buildings with lumber and now they don't have lumber to build shelter. So what are they going to do? You know, this feels like it's disadvantage. It feels like this is not a good place to live, that they should move on and find a place with trees. Um, however, there's sometimes where we're put in circumstances that we cannot move on from. And, you know, it feels like we are at a severe disadvantage. But we can turn a disadvantage into an advantage, just like these Nephites did.
because they looked at the lack of trees and said, you know what, let's develop a new skill. We'll work in cement to build our buildings. And they became really good at working in cement. I don't know if they were better or stronger than wood, but they did gain a new skill. And maybe the buildings lasted longer than the wood did. I don't know. Maybe they were sturdier. I am not an expert in cement, but that might be something to research and to see. Are cement buildings better than wooden ones? They probably take a lot longer to build but maybe they're a lot stronger once they are built. And so, you know, these Nephites were able to take a disadvantage and turn it into a great advantage. And I think we can do the same in our life. When we're put in a circumstance, where we feel like we are at a disadvantage. We can, if we take the time, we can figure out an advantage that we do have. Maybe we'll become stronger in an area that we were weak or learn a new skill that will become helpful in the future that will allow us to be stronger and better and more faithful people. And so those are my thoughts of the day. I hope that this podcast is helping you. And I'd love to hear from you if it is. Um, right now, the only way to communicate is either rate the podcast or go to my Facebook page. And so if you could do that, that'd be great because I would love to hear from y'all. And to hear if this is helpful or not helpful. Um, And, you know, if you could share this podcast with someone you feel like could really benefit from it, that'd be great. Because I would love to reach out and to help as many people as possible with this podcast. And also, don't forget, most important, record your impressions down and act upon them. Make a plan for how you'll follow through with it today. And I hope that you always remember God is rooting for you. And he's doing everything he can to help you. And he loves you so much. And he'll never stop loving you no matter what you do. And so I hope you always remember that. And I'll talk to you later.